This morning we're going to be jumping into our summer study of the Psalms. The last couple of summers we, I guess it was two or three summers ago, we started in Psalm 1 and we made it a handful of Psalms in. And then last summer we picked up where we left off. We went through a few more Psalms and now we're at Psalm 18. So if it feels odd to start a series in Psalm 18, it's because this is a long-standing series. And we're not going to make it very far in Psalms this summer either. So more than likely next summer we'll still be pretty close to Psalm 18. And I say that because we're going to be in Psalm 18 for the next four weeks. So, breakneck speed. Let me go ahead and pray for us, and we'll focus our attention. Father, thanks for some time for us to gather around your word. We thank you for Psalm 18. We thank you for all the psalms. Um, And as we spend a chunk of time together looking at this psalm, we pray that you will use uh, the words that, Spirit, you gave to David to express what was going on in his heart uh, to be an encouragement for us and to help us and to give voice for us as well. We pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Before we jump into our psalm this morning, I do want to just take a moment and say thanks for being here this morning. We love having a chance to worship together as uh, a family. If this is your first time visiting with us, we thank you for being here on this holiday weekend. There's a QR code uh, on one of the pages of your worship folder. You can scan that and just, if you don't mind sending us a little bit of contact information, we'd love to reach out to you personally and just thank you uh, for being here alongside us. And on your pew at the very end here, or the very middle, I should say, the end of the pew towards the center aisle. There's a little black notebook. That's our worship register. We use that information to keep records for our denomination, but also helps our elders as we seek to shepherd this church family. We'd love for you to fill that out, pass it down for us. All right, so as we are going to look at Psalm 18, we're only going to be looking at the first six verses this morning. And you probably don't remember, uh, because I barely remember, but we ended last summer with Psalm 18. And we looked at these six verses, but we also looked at a handful of other verses later in the psalm. And that's when I told you there's too much in Psalm 18. We're going to have to camp out in Psalm 18 for a while next summer, and here we are. So we're going to start in verses 1 through 6, and then we will next week pick up and move a little further through Psalm 18, and so on and so forth for this month together. Let me go ahead first and, and read our text. Psalm 18, 1 through 6. David writes, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. We're going to be talking about David's experience, and his experience in a sin-broken world as a sin-broken man, uh, and the way he gives voice to it, and then also what he does as he starts feeling the tension of his own sinfulness and of the sinful brokenness in which he lives. Josh and I were at our General Assembly, which is the annual gathering of elders, pastors and elders from our denomination. Uh, It was held in the Detroit area. We were there last week. And one of the speakers was talking about an experience that he had had. He He lives in Colorado, and he would hike to the top of Long's Peak, which I think is in Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, It's one of the 14ers there, I think. And there's a, like, you go up on the top of that, that peak, and, and I've been to Rocky Mountain National Park, so I can confirm the weather changes there so fast. Uh, 
it is beautiful and sunny, and then it's hailing on you, and there's lightning, like it is a mess. Uh, and what can happen is you can be on top of one of these mountains, and you, when you're hiking up, the weather was beautiful. And as soon as you get there, it can change on a dime, and it can become very dangerous, because you end up being on the highest point you know, for miles around, which lightning likes to find the highest point. And so on this particular trail, just down from the peak, there is a stone hut for hikers who find themselves up on the mountain when inclement weather comes in. If they need to go find shelter quickly, because you're above the tree line, you can go into this hut and you can wait out the storm. And so he was saying on multiple occasions, he'd been to the top of this peak, and on multiple occasions, they'd had to rush off the top and take shelter in this hut because the storm would come so quickly. What I want us to talk about this morning is how our lives are kind of like, like a distance hike, and we need places to find shelter. Like storms happen in our lives, storms of our own making, storms of other people's making, storms that other people didn't make but Satan made because he's trying to tear us down, attack us. Like we need places to find shelter. And so David here gives expression to the fact he, he knows where to find shelter on this long-distance hike of his, on this journey of his life. And so first, what I want us to do as we look at this is I want us to be honest about the context of life, and then I want us to, you know, see the way that David expresses it, but then I also want us to see what David does in the midst of the storms of his life. All right, so first, let's be, be honest about the context of the lives of every human being. David does this in verses 4 and 5. He, he shows us the backdrop of his life. He says, The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of Sheol entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. All right, so he's using this language, David is, to, to give voice to his lived experience, like what life is like for him or has been during certain seasons. He says, I feel like the, there's cords of death, cords of Sheol, like Sheol is the place of the dead, that are ensnaring me. Well, these cords of death, these cords of Sheol, now in Hebrew poetry, uh, one, of the, um, one of the practices of the Hebrew poet would be to emphasize things by restating it with different language like to reiterate it. You're saying the same thing, but you're just using different words to express the same idea. That's just one of the beauties of Hebrew poetry, and that's what David is doing here in this poem. So when he talks about the cords of death and the cords of Sheol, same thing. He's just saying it a slightly different way for poetic emphasis. And what's being symbolized here is like the cords of death as opposed to the experience of life. He's saying, in my lived experience, in my life, in this moment, whichever moment he's referencing— because there's a handful of moments he's writing this, this psalm at the end of his life as it reflects on the, you know, God's faithfulness to him over the course of his life. He says, there were times in my life when I felt like I was walking a life of death instead of a life of life. I didn't feel like I was living life. I felt like I was existing with death pulling at me. I wasn't flourishing. I wasn't full. I felt alone. I felt crushed. So that's the experience of these cords of death and of Sheol. They encompassed me. They entangled me, he says in verses 4 and 5. Essentially, he's given voice like, I felt surrounded. I felt hemmed in. I felt trapped in those moments, in those seasons even. That's what David was feeling. He said, there were seasons in my life when I felt like I was trapped in a living death. That's what it felt like to me. He goes on and he says, the torrents of destruction assailed me. Like the torrents of destruction, that's the imagery of a storm, like being battered by a storm. His, this imagery likens his experience to being caught in a fierce storm. Like I felt like I was a ship in a storm. 
at different seasons in my life. That's what, D, the, what David is expressing here. I had a chance this past week to take a little solo trip, a little retreat up to northern Michigan, uh, and I was in a little town called Frankfurt, which is tiny, uh, but it's right on Lake Michigan, and it has uh, like a bay that opens up to this lake, which is a, a big marina. It has two lighthouses, has two concrete piers that go out into Lake Michigan. And I'd never been to the Great Lakes, and I just assumed the Great Lakes were big lakes. Uh, it's a little bit like small seas. That's what it's like, less than, than lakes. And there, there was a lot of wind. There was, by the way, I know it was like 100-something here. Like, I needed a jacket there, and I didn't take one. Like, it was cold uh, up in Michigan. And the storms that were coming through from the Wisconsin side of Lake Michigan were bringing waves that were crashing over these concrete piers that, were, that would take you out to these lighthouses. And I walked out the first day. I walked out to one of the lighthouses. It was beautiful. And the next day, I was going to walk out to the other one. And I realized, well, with all this water that's washing over, it's probably not wise. And then I saw a sign posted, uh, and it, it was a sign that was posted by a, an organization that was founded by a family whose 15-year-old son had gone out on one of these concrete piers during a storm and gotten washed off the pier and drowned. And it's happened multiple times in that community because the storms, people don't respect the storm. They're just like, oh man, it looks like, it looks so beautiful. And it did, it looked beautiful as the, as the waves were just crashing over. I was reading one story about this town, and there was a, a family that went out, these young kids, and one of their older siblings went out onto that same concrete uh, pier. They got washed off. They were rescued. But they just thought it would be fun, kind of like a water park, like a splash pad, to have those waves wash over them. It's not like that. And David's telling us like there are seasons in his life that he would describe as being crushed by storm waves. And then he says, there are snares of death that have confronted me. The difference between like a torrent and a snare, he's giving us two very unique perspectives. He's like, sometimes I just felt like life was just churning. And then sometimes I felt like somebody laid a trap for me. And there are seasons of life when you feel like you're being snared, like someone's laying a trap for you. Now David's spirit-inspired expression here, like it gives us, it gives us actually, hopefully, some hope and some words to use. Like if your lived experience feels at times like this, when your life feels like it's a churning storm, or like someone's trying to trap you, or like you're just living out a, a bleak existence. You're not alone. David's letting us know like that is, that is going to be seasons of our life as we live in a sin-broken world. The question isn't, will that happen to us? The question is, what do we do when that's the season that we're walking for, through? And one of the things I want us to feel empowered to do is to express it and to say it. Like you and I do not have to fake it. We do not have to pretend like life isn't sometimes a storm. We don't have to pretend like sometimes we feel snared. We feel crushed. We can actually express it. Like when you and I are, are unwilling to speak it, when we're unwilling to share it, when we're unwilling to acknowledge it, on some level I think we think we're being really spiritual by not doing that. But when we suppress that, it just leads us to places of despair and apathy and probably resentment. Like life is hard. Not all the time. Sometimes life is sunshine and daisies. And I don't want you to pretend like sunshines and daisies aren't fun because they are. So when life is good, celebrate that life is good. And when life is hard, be honest. Life is hard. You and I live in that kind of yo-yo back and forth at times. 
But I want us to also see here what David does is the same that you and I, same thing that you and I are invited into. Not only can we say, hey, this is how life really is, but there's also a response that we can have to it. And David's response first, before he even tells us how, life, how hard life is, he tells us how he's already processing it. He's remembering who God is. Like that's the first thing we're supposed to do. In the midst of that churning sea of those traps we feel like they've been laid for us, the hardships of life, we've got to remember who God is. So he remembers the Lord, and then he calls on the Lord. Those are the two things he does. He remembers the Lord, and he calls on the Lord. That's the way that he responds to the hard stuff of life. So in verses 1 and 2, we see David remembering the Lord. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So we have David here just saying, these are the things that are true about God. True about God and, and David's experience of God, but also just true about God because whether David's experienced it or not, there are things that are true about God. And so he remembers the Lord, and he gets really specific. He says, the Lord's my strength, verse 1, meaning the Lord is the source of my energy. The only power that I have is the power that comes from the Lord. The only sustaining presence there is in my existence is the Lord. That's what he means when he says, the Lord is my strength. And when life is hard, and we need energy, and we need agency, and we need endurance, we need the Lord. When you're in the midst of an energy-sapping season, you need the Lord. He's your strength. And that's why David goes on and says, you're the horn of my salvation. The horn of the salvation is a symbol of strength. He's just reiterating the strength. He goes on and says, God's my rock, my firm ground. You know, when daily life feels like, there are seasons when daily life feels like, you know, not, this isn't firm ground. This is like thin ice. That's what it feels like. To know that there's always firm ground with the Lord. There's always a place where you can find strength and sustaining presence. A place where you can go, someone you can hold on to who's firm and strong and can hold you. Then he goes on and says, the Lord is my fortress, verse 2, my stronghold, verse 2, my shield, verse 2. These are all pictures of safety from attack. Remember David said, I feel like people are setting snares for me. There's a place I can go and be safe. You and I are going to need this, and at times we're going to feel like we're under attack. And the truth is, we are under attack. I was reading a book just yesterday, talking about like, hey, let's be honest. Like Satan really wants to hurt you. He only has he has limited power, but the power that he does have, he's using to try and hurt us, to attack us. And the way that that shows up in our lives sometimes might be other people bringing hardship into our life, bringing pain into our life, or it could be temptation to be that person. That can be indulgent. We bring pain into ourselves. Satan would love for either of those things to tear us down. We are under attack. Like, we need a place. We need a shield. We need a defender. God says that is who he is for us, and David knew it. Verse 2, he says, God's my deliverer, my rescuer, Our God intervenes in our lives in real tangible ways. God's not just watching from the outside, cheering us on. That's the beauty of the incarnation, right? That's what we're celebrating every Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. 
God traveled with his people in the desert. God wanted his people to have his presence in their midst. He sent the Spirit at Pentecost. Like we have a God who's intimately involved in our actual lives. David finds that to be deliverance. My God is a refuge for me as well, he says in verse 2, a place of safety, a place of rest. We're finite beings. Like sometimes the most spiritual thing you and I can do is rest. And the only place you and I are going to find rest when everything else is churning is with the Lord. I have these two pictures in my mind as I was studying this week. Uh, And one is of Paul when he's telling uh, the, the captain of the ship, hey, we should probably not leave this haven, fair havens where we are, to try and go any further on our trip to Rome because it's going to be bad for us. We should stay here. Now, it wasn't a great place to stay. It was called fair havens, but no one ever stayed there because you actually were open to too much of the sea. But it was better to stay there than to leave and to go. They leave, they go, they get shipwrecked on Malta. That's what happens. But then we have the picture of Jesus in the boat when the storm comes. And he's asleep on the boat, secure. Like for us, we need that security that in the midst of the storm, we have Jesus. Now, as we think about what Paul, not Paul, I'm talking about Paul, but this is David. What David is expressing here about God, he's like, I remember these things. I have been remembering these things about God. I know them to be true for me. That's what he's saying. It's his poem. It's his psalm. Do you and I know these things to be true for us? Because what you and I know, what we believe about God, it shapes the way we process our life, and it shapes how we respond when things are hard. If we don't actually believe that God is our strength, if we don't believe that we find refuge with Him, if we don't believe that He's a fortress for us, that He's a rock for us, that He's a deliverer for us, if we don't believe these things, we're not going to look to Him and run to Him to experience these things. One of my favorite uh, Paul Tripp quotes was from an interview he was giving. He said, no one's more influential in your life than you are because no one talks to you more than you do. And that conversation is deeply theological, paradigmatic, motivational. You're always living out of some form of some kind of gospel. You and I are always telling ourselves what to believe. We're always preaching to ourselves. And here, Paul show, I mean, here David shows us what he's preaching to himself and what he has been preaching to himself over the arc of his life, these truths about God. And so what are you and I remembering or, or forgetting to remember in the hard seasons of our life? Like if you're in a hard season right now, what are you believing about God? What's the conversation that you're having with yourself about God? Is it that he's one you can find refuge with? that he's one who actually will intervene in what's going on in your life? Or are you telling yourselves lies about God? Or just ignoring him? Is the conversation that you're having not intersecting with him at all? You know, sometimes we remember how he's shown up in our stories. Sometimes we just remember the way that he promises to show up. Sometimes in the midst of our story, it can shroud. We can forget all the ways that he's been faithful to us. In those moments, we have to remember what's true is not what we feel, but what he said, who he said that he is. And David declares it for us here. But we also need to be good self-historians. Like our personal stories, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can say the same things that David says. God has shown up in these ways for us. You and I not, may not be great at recording it and remembering it, but he has. You and I need to be good 
historians of our own story so that we can remember these things and share it with other people. That could be really helpful. Like the more you share your story with other people, the more they can remind you of things that are true when you forget it because you get tunnel vision. And then I want us to see here that when David remembers about God, that God is all of these wonderful things, all of these sustaining realities, he then pivots and he calls on God. Why would you not call on someone who's strong for you? Why would you not call on someone who's a fortress for you? Why wouldn't you call on someone who's a refuge for you? Of course we will. We go to those people. I mean, functionally, there are men and women in our lives that are not God, but have shown up for us in strong ways and in powerful ways and in sustaining ways, and we go to those people. We're drawn to those people. The more we understand those realities about God, the more the most natural response in the midst of storms and hardships and snares is going to be to call out to him. And that's what happens in verses 3 and verse 6. David says, I call upon the Lord who's worthy to be praised, and I'm saved from my enemies. Verse 6, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And from his temple, he heard my voice. My cry to him reached his ears. Verse 3, in the beginning of verse 6, God lets us know, hey, when should we cry out to the Lord? When should we call on him? Anytime. He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our conversation. He's worthy of our attention. He's worthy of us voicing to him at any given time, all the time even, especially in our distress. Because there in verse 6, David says, when I was in distress, I called to him. Let's just be nuts and bolts for a minute. What's it look like to call upon the Lord? Like functionally, what's that look like? Well, obviously, it's to praise him. Like that's one of the ways we call upon him. We praise him. That's what David says. He's worthy of praise. But we also express our needs to him. We share anxieties with him. We share our questions with him. We share our confusion with him. We have legitimate, honest friendship conversation with him. I mean, think about how do you talk to people that you know love you? How does your conversation with someone that you know loves you, what does that conversation look like? It's a great picture of what it could look like in your conversations with the Lord. Because the Lord loves you more than that person does. And your mom loves you a lot. The Lord loves you more. You can have those kind of conversations. I was listening to a podcast recently, and it was a woman talking about processing her second miscarriage. And just the crushing, the, just the crushing reality that was for her. Like the sadness that she felt. But she didn't feel like she could express it. She told the story, like a breakthrough moment for her. She went to a Bible study with a lot of women and got angry, just incredibly angry as they were going around sharing prayer requests because it was someone's cold and someone's dog and, you know, someone's, you know, lost something they couldn't find, something like that. And she was sitting in this Bible study raging internally because she felt like she was the only one who actually felt sad, crushed, and in despair. And then she got in the car, and she just lost it. She started screaming in the car. Screaming to God, at God. She really couldn't parse it out. And she said on the other side of that, which apparently was like a 15, 20-minute drive of nonstop screaming, which is a lot, there was a peace waiting for her on the other side of it. Because she doesn't have to hold those things in. She has someone that's safe to share all of her hurt, all of her pain, 
And she did. And so she's told her story. She says, that's a breakthrough for me. That was a breakthrough point. Because I was still sad, but it wasn't bottled up inside of me. You and I have someone that we can call on when we want to scream and cry. We also have someone we can call on when we want to laugh and celebrate. Like calling upon the Lord is like calling up someone you know loves you, who will be there for you when it's hard and who will celebrate with you when, it, when it's not. That's what it means to call upon the Lord. And I love what David says in verse 6. He says, from his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. He hears you. Every time, he hears you. He heard David, he hears me, and he hears you. What would be the point to cry out to him if he didn't? There is a calm that comes from knowing that someone can hear you. If you've ever seen any of those news stories when like, and these are just terrible, like when a child falls down a well, like a deep hole or something like that, there are always rescuers who are gathered around. But you know, one of those rescuers is almost always just talking to the child. Because knowing that you're heard will calm you. Knowing that someone knows where you are and what's going on with you will calm you. Like for you and me to know that whatever the storm is that we're in, whatever the hardship is, when we cry out to him, he hears us. And you know what's great is even when we don't cry out to him, he still knows. That doesn't bring you and me a lot of felt experience of calm, but it's still true. We get that felt experience of the calming when we actually know that when we say things, he hears those things. He hears us. And so I want to encourage you, just in closing this morning, David tells us life is hard sometimes. And if you, if you read about David's life, it, it was hard. And I mean, a lot of that was his own fault. Not all of it, but a chunk of it, for sure. Life is hard. And there will be seasons. You may be in one. You may be about to get into one. You may have just come out of one. There are seasons of life that are incredibly hard. And God wants us to know he's for us. He is our strength. He's the one who's our refuge. He's the one who will come alongside us. He's the one that will sustain us. He's the one who actually loves us and promises that he'll always be there for us. Which means, if you haven't been calling out to him, you have every reason to start today. Have a conversation with him. If things are sunshine and daisies for you today, awesome. Talk to him about that. Celebrate it. If this is a really hard season, be honest about that too. Our reaction, our engagement, our response when we're in the midst of storms has got to be to call out to the Lord. Because that's where we will find what our hearts are desperately, desperately searching for.